Psalm 42, Why are you cast down, O my soul? As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Who's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon from the Mount of Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Who's your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And we go to Romans 8, verses there. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Shall we come to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us understand our message this evening? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is pleased to walk with your people. And we thank you for the promises which undergird the path on which we walk. We thank you for your grace, which is greater than our need. And we pray this evening that as we consider this part of your word, your Holy Spirit would help us to grasp the comfort and the challenge and to walk with you in close fellowship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text for this evening's sermon is from Belgic Confession, uh, Article 13, and I'll read that for you. It's a little bit lengthy. It'll be up on the screen. Thanks. The Doctrine of God's Providence. We believe that this good God after he created all things, did not abandon them to chance or fortune, but leads and governs them according to his holy will, in such a way that nothing happens in this world without his orderly arrangement. Yet God is not the author of, nor can he be charged with, the sin that occurs. For his power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that he arranges and does his works very well and justly 
even when the devils and the wicked men act unjustly. We do not wish to inquire with undue curiosity into what he does that surpasses human understanding and is beyond our ability to comprehend. But in all humility and reverence, we adore the just judgments of God which are hidden from us, being content to be Christ's disciples so as to learn only what he shows us in his word without going beyond those limits. This doctrine gives us unspeakable comfort since it teaches us that nothing can happen to us by chance but only by the arrangement of our gracious Heavenly Father. He watches over us with fatherly care, keeping all creatures under his control so that not one of the hairs on our heads, for they are all numbered, not even a little bird can fall to the ground without the will of our Father. In this thought we rest, knowing that he holds in check the devils and all our enemies who cannot hurt us without his permission and will. For that reason, we reject the damnable error of the Epicureans who say that God involves himself in nothing and leaves everything to chance. The sermon I'm able to share with you this evening is entitled Who Really Does Care? And it was written by the hand of Reverend Bajima from uh, one of our New Zealand churches. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there are many people who admit to a religious side. You can ask people on the street and the overwhelming majority will believe in God. Very few will be atheists. When it comes to whether or not God has anything to do with controlling this world, that's another matter. Many have the view that God has in some way left it to just go its own way. You could call it chance or fortune. Then there is the opposing view. Muslims are very strong on this because they are fatalists. They believe that Allah has absolutely decreed whatever is to come to pass In a totally impersonal way, everything has been exactly worked out. In the time of the New Testament, these two views were represented by two Greek philosophical schools. The Epicureans believed God was very much hands-off. Everything that happened according to them happened according to the nature of the things created. The Stoics were the opposite. They believed you had to simply accept whatever happened to you. They said you had no chance of changing it and you shouldn't even try. To them, it was all fate. They believed that whatever divine being there there was had a very hands-on approach, so you have no show. The biblical teaching is neither of these. The Lord in his word actually says that he's involved in both, a hands-on and a hands-off way. 
In fact, if you really look at either of those unbiblical views, the logical consequence of their positions makes God the most unloving God. And that's what he's definitely not. Even those who say the world as it is today shows he must be so unloving, get it quite wrong. Because they've no idea of what was loving if he wasn't in control. The only way they can even make a judgment is because he is both hands-on and hands-off. So let's realise about the Lord how he truly is. Let's open up what his own word says about this. And through that teaching as God's people, let's be deeply comforted that it is all in his hands. There's no better place for it to be. And that's what we must show. The first aspect we consider from Article 13 of the Belgic Confession is that God is controlling all things. The opening paragraph is absolutely clear about this. And how much doesn't it detail about this? Let's dig into this here. Let's see God controlling everything in three ways outlined in this first paragraph. The first of these declares this through the triumphant expression of his rules, of his rule. He is, here is some confession. We believe that the same good God, after he had created all things, did not forsake them or give them up to fortune or chance but that he rules and governs them according to his holy will, so that nothing happens in this world without his appointment. This certainly knocks the Epicureans and the Deists for a six. For this is what the prophet alluded to in Isaiah 14, verse 24. As we read there, the Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have planned, so it will be, and as I have purposed, it will stand. And it's what is clearly confirmed in the New Testament. For there, there the, the Apostle Paul declares in Ephesians 1 verse 11, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Congregation, from the beginning, the church took sharp issue with those two dominant schools of pagan thought. They confessed and showed that it was God who controlled everything and he was not an impersonal and unresponsive God. They boldly lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Historically, the doctrine of providence developed especially under Augustine. In the early 400s AD, he systematically taught that everything was under the sovereign, wise and living God of the scriptures. You might recall his great battle with Pelagius and his followers. For Pelagius believed in the complete freedom of the human will. Now Pelagius taught this for the same reason people today teach the same. They don't like to make God the author of evil. 
But it's here they completely misunderstood, misunderstand. While the idea of God's sovereignty being 100% and man's responsibility being 100% is a mystery to us, it is yet completely true. This is where we come to the second strand in God's controlling all things. This is about the place of sin. As Article 13 continues, God neither is the author of nor can be charged with the sins which are committed. For his power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that he orders and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner, even then when devils and wicked men act unjustly. Man certainly sins. James 1 verses 14 and 15, 15 clearly outlines this process. And it does that by showing how man falls to temptation and so is dragged away and enticed and sins. So man is not a robot without a will. After the fall, man still had his own will. Depraved though it was, it was the way he chose and acted. He's still responsible for his actions. If man sins, however, it isn't dependent, independent of God. The Lord allows it and through it works for the good. God isn't the author of sin and isn't guilty of it. We only need to think here of Joseph. In Genesis 45 verse 8, we see Joseph clearly acknowledging that it was God who worked it so that he would be where he was in Egypt at that time. He told of how God inclined the hearts of his brothers, but only to what they themselves wanted to do. So by the influencing of those brothers' evil, God arranged that there would be grain for Jacob's household in Egypt. This is confirmed in Genesis chapter 50, in verses 19 and 20, Joseph reassures his brother, brothers, saying to them, Don't be afraid, I am in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. But this example is one of the few scriptures is but this example is one of the few scriptures shows us. Mostly what the Lord does with evil, we don't know about. This is where Article 13 flows well into its third aspect, to do with God's controlling all things. Because he's controlling all things means it is so much above and beyond anything we can fully understand. We confess the wonder of his acts in the words of the last sentence in the first paragraph and as to what he does surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire into farther, further than our capacity will admit of but with the greatest humility and reverence adore the righteous judgments of God which are hid from us 
contenting ourselves that we are pupils of Christ, to learn only those things which he has revealed to us in his words without transgressing these limits. You see, believer, we can observe what goes on in this world. You'll find that everything works in a certain way. You could call that way natural law, not that it was nature making that law. We totally reject all reference to Mother Nature, much as television presenters may love her. Rather, it's what we can see of what God is doing. It's really not much we see of God's doing, and sometimes the Lord works in a way which cannot be seen beforehand or afterward. Then you say it's a miracle. But the Bible declares that all God's works are miracles. Congregation, what we are confessing here is what the Apostle Paul was brought to at the end of Romans 11. There, after having seen the wonder of what God was doing through Israel, he sang out in the verses 33 to 36, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So God is controlling all things. And having confessed that, Article 13 moves on to confess that God is assuring us of these things. Here a bit of history helps. This confession was written in a time of severe persecution. Thousands of reformed believers were brutally slaughtered by the authorities, largely at the urging of the Roman church. It was a time when believers naturally wondered how their sufferings fitted in with the Bible's words about a gracious and fatherly God's care for his own. It was actually at this time, and others like it, that they got so much comfort in God's word. For Psalm 121 verse 4 says, He does not slumber or sleep. So what was happening to Christians in those times, as indeed is happening to many believers around the world today, is happening by God's holy will. As the second paragraph begins in Article 13, this doctrine affords us unspeakable consolation, since we are taught thereby that nothing can befall us by chance but by the direction of our most gracious and heavenly Father. The heavenly Father, the heavenly Father is working out the very best for his children, and his children accept that. Otherwise, he's not really God, is he? Otherwise, somehow we have been mistaken for thousands of years. But dear friend, you are not mistaken. You are among those who have been chosen and called through what God has done 
in his son. It was Jesus who went through a suffering which makes whatever we go through very, very small. Article 13 has referred to us being pupils in Christ. Well, let's be those students. Let's understand that we don't under let's understand that we don't understand everything straight away. Indeed, in this life there will be much that doesn't seem to make sense. But regardless, it's all in the hands of God and there's no better place for us to be, for that to be. There was a young person out riding one day with a friend. He asked his friend, what is your opinion of elections, sir? His friend wisely remarked, Stephen, when have you, you have learned fractions, decimals, etc. Do you understand them? Yes, sir. Do you think when you began to learn to add up, you could? No, sir. Neither can you, my dear boy, at present comprehend the deep things of God. That conversation resulted in that youth becoming much more interested in the things of God. And so may it also do for us. Because then we will indeed share in the answer of question and answer, uh, question 28 of the Heidelberg Catechism. For that question asks, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? And together may we answer, we can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from his love. All creatures are so deeply, oh, so completely in his hand that without his will they can neither move nor be moved. Doesn't Romans 8 come ringing through here? For nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How much different isn't it that than the chance which dominates the world? They always speak about getting lucky. And what's luck? It's the most impossible odds. And even if any of them wins big, don't they soon lose it all? They cannot be truly happy. In their hearts, they are always looking for something more. The broken lives of celebrities are played out in every street, in every suburb. There is no personal God here, there. And then there are those rigid, fatalistic communities. Oh, the rules are attractive. It's all laid out for you. But there's no personal God there because there's no love there. Only fear. Dear Christian, you have the vital message for today's world. Your faith that God is ruling everything wisely and well, even though you can't fathom his purposes or understand his ways, challenges those who don't believe. And for those who do believe, you give peace and courage. Your God is so powerful. He has bound up the devil. Those forces of evil cannot win over you. 
and what they do do and what they do to us is only because God is using it for us. And your God is so loving. He knows every hair on your head. That's how much he cares. He who sent his own dear son to die for us is always right there. Amen. Shall we come to the Lord in prayer? Let's pray. O most great and gracious God, how much are we astonished by all that you've done and are still so busy doing. To think that you're working out all things for us, we of all people, that makes us so thankful, Lord. Please help it, help it to make us faithful too. We thank you for sending your spirit to live in us. Thank you that he convicts us of our sin, comforts us, guides us, gives us spiritual gifts and the desire to obey God. And he enables us to pray and to understand God's word. Let us live the life of faith in his power, not our own. Let us walk the path of obedience filled with his joy. Lord, we hallow your holy name. We thank you and praise you for the gift of faith worked out within us by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, as the sun is full of light, as the ocean is full of water, and heaven full of, our, of glory, so fill our hearts full of you. Lord, for those in our community who are troubled, those who suffer, those who are unwell or discouraged, Help us, Lord, to uphold and support one another in your wisdom. Shine your light in the secret sins of our hearts. Equip us for tasks that are too, too large for us. Make us glad in what delights you. Intercede for us and open our eyes to rightly understand the word of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.